Okay, would you mind introducing yourself for the audience, please? I'm represented by several galleries. I've, I'm, uh, have work in several countries. I am a full-time artist and I'm happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. I'm Richard. I want to say that I love your work. I have followed you, I think, longer than you've followed me. And your work is just gorgeous. So, so I'm honored you wanted to speak with me. And Simon, I'm, I just started following you. So I'm looking forward to checking out what you're up to as well. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. And it's lo lovely to meet you and have you here. And I love thank your work. It's beautiful. Simon and I were just talking about it and yeah. I was looking through to see if you ever painted in acrylic or oil as well as pastel. Um, but you're a pastel artist, mainly. So I started out, I'll, I guess I'll give you a little bit of history on that because I actually didn't start with pastel. Um, so I started with acrylic and mixed media, watercolor. I've never really worked in oil. I think once when I was a teenager, one of my friends had oils and I splashed around with it a bit, but um, took too long to dry. I wasn't interested. I'm way too um, impatient for that. So yeah, I started out with acrylic and and um, really didn't get into pastels until about 10 years ago. And I really didn't get involved in pastels until about five years ago. I mean, I, I think I bought my first set of pastels a decade ago and was playing around with them. Uh, and then when we moved in, when we moved, we moved down from Seattle uh, to the Portland area. To, this is our, this is my home where I grew up, and we wanted to be closer to uh, my parents who are getting older, and my husband, you know, our kids, my husband's sons, and their families. Um, and so I like to call them my bonus kids. I I don't have any of my own, but I'm thrilled to have you know to have them in my in my life. And uh, so we moved back down here. And when we bought the house, we had a little bit of extra cash and I bought my first full set of pastels. And that is when I absolutely just went bonkers. I just fell in love with pastel and uh, I haven't really looked back. I have tons of acrylic and, and watercolor and I sometimes incorporate those. Um, but I just am so in love with pastel that I don't, ever really get the urge to work on the other with the other mediums that might change so hopefully I don't have a billion wasted products out there of acrylic yeah it's it's often the case so I mean I've got all kinds of media here I recently bought some um, casein paint I wanted to try it it didn't work out so it's gone in the drawer of um, all of those mediums that I've tried over the years so Kim, um, what do you like most about pastel? Um, is it the directness? Is it the colour? Yes, 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 all of it. I mean, I think that it's definitely the directness is and the immediacy. I can uh, take my time. So it's kind of strange because although I love working quickly I also think a lot about what I'm going to do I, I take a lot of breaks but when I'm at the easel and I, I do work standing up at an easel um, I like to really slash and be crazy but then I like to take a lot of breaks and step back and look at my work either on the phone or whatever and I like to have the ability to easily make changes and I feel like the dry pigment I know that you can do that with any medium, but I guess I feel like uh, it just gives me uh, more options to step back and come back whenever I want to. And it's easier to make those changes than if I was working with, say, a wet medium, mm -hmm. especially like watercolor or something, which I find really difficult. I do love acrylics, um, but I also just love how there's not um, there's nothing between me and the pigment. It's it's like my hand directly, there's just, you know, this this piece of pigment. A lot of people call it chalk, whatever. I don't really care. I'm not offended if they want to call it drawing or painting. Who cares? It's just a beautiful medium to me. I think of it as painting. Um, 
but you know, it's just right there in my hands. I love getting my hands dirty with it. And um, so I also love that it's kind of a drawing medium. So I can do both. It's like the best of both worlds. You know, it's, it's both painting, but if I want to, I could, you know, I do a lot of underpaintings and I'll do them with acrylic or watercolor or ink or a pastel. Some, you know, if, if I'm really in a hurry and I'm a very impatient person. So if I just don't feel like getting all of the watercolors out or anything, I'll just take pastel and rub it on the surface and wash it down with water or alcohol or mineral spirits. And that will give me a beautiful underpainting as well that I can then work on top of. So I just feel like there's a lot of um, pros. There's just, there's so many benefits to working with a dry medium. Absolutely. I think it's a, that directness as well of, you know, you've got the medium in your hand. You don't have this, this brush in the way or a palette knife or whatever. And um, yeah, I, I sometimes use oil pastel. You know, I like that because I can really blend. I can use a palette knife if I want as well. Um, so with the underpainting aspect, how important is that to your work? Well, so I, a lot of artists work in a particular way and they have a method that works for them. And I don't really do that <laughs> because I get bored too easily. So I, uh, I, it is important if I decide to do an underpainting, but I often don't do an underpainting. So I think that that's another one of the things that I love about pastel is that uh, for somebody who has, I don't know, I don't want to denigrate on myself, but somewhat of an addictive personality, <laughs> I can collect, I can collect papers. I mean, I guess you could do that with paint, you know, with wet paint. I do have a ton of acrylics as well and watercolors, but there's so many different types of papers, um, so many options. You know, back in the day, they didn't have that with for pastel artists. They just work on laid paper or, you know, even... I don't know what non-archival possibly, but a lot of just those laid papers back before all these archival papers became available and very limited, really just those earth tones um, that were available back in the day to the masters. But today we have so many options. So I am, I guess, kind of embarrassed to say I've got probably like a little store out there, <laughs> more papers and pastels than I probably will ever use in my life. But I love having those options like Sennelier Lacarte is a beautiful French paper um, that doesn't accept an underpainting, but it's one of my favorite papers to use. And even though it's finicky, I would kind of call it like the Ferrari of papers for pastels, because even though it's finicky and it like breaks down all the time, like a Ferrari might, uh, if you do anything to it that you're not supposed to or treat it with the respect that it deserves, it also gives you such incredible performance uh, when you do use it properly and don't let don't blow on it to, you know, because if you get a speck of of, of saliva on it, it's going to break down. Like literally, that's that vegetal grind that they spray on it is how they do it. And it just will completely disintegrate. Now, that said, I actually just finished a piece that's up on my mantle and um, I was experimenting because I love to experiment. And so I had recently purchased some casein, which is I was I'm kind of tired of using those really toxic fixatives. And I never use a fixative um, on a finished piece because I don't like it doles down the brilliance of the crystals, you know, of the multifaceted crystals of the pastel. But Oftentimes, um, depending on how I'm working, if I'm doing a lot of layers, then I'll often, if I've used up the tooth of the paper, then I will spray a fixative to continue to allow myself to work. And so I thought, well, I know that in the past I've been able to use a fixative on Sennelier Lacarte paper. And so I thought, well, I'm going to see if I can use casein on it. I knew that I could use these other ones like Latour. It's a Sennelier Latour, or there's some other kinds like Spectrafix, but they're super toxic. But I know they're like hairspray, but they're like archival hairspray, and it's really gross. But these casein uh, 
based fixatives, which is basically like milk. And I thought, "Uh, I don't know if this is going to work because it's not that sticky, gross stuff. So I sprayed it on and sure enough, I, I put my finger on it while it was still damp and some of the grind came off. I was like, oh crap. So I let it dry and then I took a little bit of clear gesso and just touched those areas where I had touched. Once it dried, it was okay. I love experimenting like that and finding out, is it going to work? And it did, but where I touched it when it was damp, I messed it up. So I just put some clear gesso on there and it dried and I was able to save the piece. So, you know, so anyway, I totally veered off course, but when I do, uh, (laughs) sorry, but when I do work with a piece of, you know, papers that I can do an underpainting on, I do think that those are some of my most successful pieces because even though Sennelier Le Carte is my favorite paper to work on, maybe just because I'm so direct and I can go slash and go crazy with it. If I take the time and effort to do an underpainting, it really does so much of the work for me, you know, and it's like, it saves the pastel because pastel is expensive. I mean, it's like six bucks for one stick of pastel. You know, if you get a a decent archival and I use all archival stuff, um, it's really expensive. So if I use uh, underpainting with watercolor or ink, I can really manipulate that and work on it for as long as I want. I mean, you could basically make a finished piece, a finished painting, and then put pastel on top of it gently where you feel like it might enrich the piece that you've already created with wet medium. That's how uh, Richard McKinley, who is huge in the pastel world, um, I think that he's the president of IAPS, which is the International Association of Pastel Societies. That is one of the ways that he works. And he really kind of pioneered that, I think, um, he kind of pioneered that method of really creating this almost finished piece sometimes with an underpainting and then choosing selectively how much pastel you want to put on top of it. That's fascinating. I've always seen pastel as painting. You know, there's that thing people say dry media, it's not painting, but it, I think it's as close to painting with pure pigment as possible. Um, yeah. I use gouache a lot, you know, gouache is probably, you know, the closest you can get to pure pigment in, in wet media, I think, because um, it's so so intense. But I do find that interesting, having the underpainting there. So with it, are you, are you sort of, say, just in the basic sense, getting the tonal, compositional, all of the values in, and then coming in with the highlights with, with the pastel? You know, it really just depends on the piece because I love to experiment so much. Um, You know, sometimes I will use just ink. Sometimes I'll just use Sumi ink, which I love to do, but it's because it's so bold and you can, in fact, I was just starting a piece last night and I, I hadn't used Sumi ink in a while. And I realized once I put it on my little plastic tray and took my little I don't know, Sumi ink brush that, oh my gosh. I mean, it's just like, it literally turned into a, I had a white piece of pastel mat and it turned into a black piece of pastel mat <laughs> because it was so much that I couldn't control it. And that's fine. I'll, I'll use the paper, but um, you know, what I need to do is water it down, add water on the side, and then you can get these beautiful, gradations of the ink you know and the type of ink that you use would either be a brown or a bluish tint and I actually had that on a an old plate that had some blue watercolor on it and so when I dipped in when I thought oh this is way too much way too black and it's it's not giving me the result that I was wanting um, I just it turned into an experimental underpainting and basically turned black at the end and that's okay that happens right I mean experimentation is the way that I think that we learn and grow so that's yeah a lot of times um, like with this piece hang on I'll grab it it's right here on my mantle Um, sometimes I just look at them as I'm working you know and after I'm finished like this piece I just did recently it's kind of hard to see but 
this is um not very much pastel this is this is mostly um a mixture of ink and of of ink and watercolor and then i just put like all of this area is this the the paper this is actually really interesting it's like a multimedia board it's almost like if i you know really like moved it in two it would just break straight in half it's like um a really strange type of a paper but i like it anyway um so yeah so it just depends like this one just i did this this is pastel there's a teeny bit of pastel here and here but it's mostly underpainting the trees are mostly the underpainting because this is something i wanted to say as well that i love about your work how you capture the light behind the trees and coming through the trees. You know, it really is a character in your work that you've got this sort of really bright light from the sun coming through, but then you have these silhouetted trees. Um, it's very hard to do. It's, it's hard to do in, in oil painting, I find. I've tried it a few times, um, but but I love that about the work because it gives it, first of all, that, that tonal, um, contrast there but there, there's something almost um, you know spiritual about it in a way this this kind of thing that you know that there's this this light that's just creeping through um, it's beautiful do you is that what you're inspired by do you do you look for those scenes yes I do I I think when we moved down here um, about it's been almost five years, you know, before that I was working mostly in acrylic. I had done this really large um, body of work. I mean, like 48 by 60 or 72 inches of these really large jazz pieces with like jazz musicians and completely different. And then when we moved into this place out in the woods, um, we're outside of the town and uh, we live on five acres it's just me and my husband. I had a cat, but it died. And now I have a billion birds and uh, there's a hawk out there trying to eat my birds right now. But squirrels, raccoons, everything, deer. We've had porcupines, you know, I mean, you know, we've had a, a bear, a black bear run through the field. But anyway, I've got all this inspiration. I can walk out my front door and I'm so grateful. I've never lived in the woods before. So I didn't. Uh, and it was just such a, I'm so grateful. It is a spiritual experience that honestly being here and, and being able to walk outside. And while I'm mostly a studio painter, uh, you know, and it's in my garage, so I can open my studios in my garage. I can open my garage door and look at the Glen, which is the painting I just showed you. I've painted that scene so many times in so many conditions and seasons and, with flowers or in a horizontal or, a, you know, a portrait, um, you know, way of painting that I'm just, I don't think I'll ever get tired of it. And the sun sets to the West over there. And so I always, unless it's cloudy as it often is here, but even then we have this beauty of the mistiness of the, the light coming through. And it's just, it, it is a, never-ending quest I guess to paint it I have this desire to just see the the light through the trees it's just something see it's funny that you say that you think it's difficult to paint that because to me (laughs) I was talking to a friend of mine her name's Jerry Greenberg she's a an art she's a pastel artist and she does still life and and portraits and I think that that's incredibly difficult I mean I you know, I've tried both and I, I do occasionally try my hand at those because I don't want to get bored. And I do think it's also important to challenge ourselves, you know, and her and I were talking and she said, you know, and she does these beautiful, beautiful, vibrant, full of life, still life. And, and she said, well, oh God, it's so easy to do those, but it's so hard to paint those trees. And I said, I'm laughing. I'm like, all you have to do is just squiggle a bunch of pastel on there and then just work around it until it turns into a blob that looks like a tree. And she said, no, that's what you do with a still life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so it's so funny that I think that what we love, what we are focused on is what we're best at. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. And, and what we're so as well, you know, I'm surrounded by mostly flat lands with big horizons. So, of course, and big skies. So, of course, that is what's around me. So, what I've been painting most. It's interesting then when I go and do a still life to challenge myself or I'm inspired, I'm like, damn, this is hard. You know, because it's <laughs> different. I'm used to having this totally. huge huge sort of space to think about and with a still life it's much more intimate um yeah but you get used to it yes yes and I love you know I think about even with my my landscapes you know and even I, your work is just so incredible and you also have that light you know you also have that that light coming through that is just like this beautiful mm. tonal work and your color your 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 eye for color is just incredible thank you um, you know but i would find it difficult i find it difficult one of the most challenging things that i find is if i if i want to do a piece with a with a large uh sky i always find myself really enjoying and drawn to a portrait style mm. uh instead of a horizontal format i really love and having a really high horizon line and really focusing. That's just, it's not something that I consciously decided on. It's just something that has happened over time. You know, how artists, beginning artists want, oh, well, how do I find my style? Or, you know, and there's no answer to that except to paint and just paint with love and practice, paint a billion times, paint yeah. a thousand you know, pieces and throw half of them away and paint like you, have all the money in the world to paint because otherwise, you know, that's, you have to find the technical skill before you can then use those technical skills to then actually say something. Yeah. And, 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 you know, once you have the technical skill, then there's the whole new challenge of, well, now how am I going to actually communicate this thing that's inside that you know words can't say that i want to share with another human being that that the only way that i can truly express it is hopefully through this painting that i can that that will speak more than huh, the cliche of a thousand words but it's true right that's what that challenge becomes so for me anyway i feel like um i've i've just kind of that's what I love, I guess, is this high horizon line with um, the sun peeking through up there through the trees and this this field, because that's what I'm surrounded by. So when I see like the work behind you, which obviously I know is yours, and there's this big, beautiful sky, and it's got all of these really intricate gradations of color and these beautiful, subtle, soft edges of just melding into each other you know, and, and I love that your values are spot on. Um, but you've got all, you know, these pinks and, and, and warm grays. I'm just looking at that beautiful piece with that, with that um, sun peeking over the horizon. Square, yeah, it, the square it, format. It's actually a work in progress. I've, I've just put it in the frame to try and ah, you know, to yes. see, it, see it different. Um, but it's yes. interesting I, what you're saying there about the high horizons and things like that. Um, you know, I've I've always been sort of interested in sort of the rule of two thirds in in the paintings. You know, so two thirds sky to it. But most of my paintings are almost exactly the same. I'm just shifting the things up or where the clouds coming in. But within that, like you were saying about the trees and your view, within that, there's so much. Um, to experiment with you know if you can if you can find a kind of a a sort of a, a formula in a sense a framework it then gives you that that whole um scope for experimentation for abstraction for all kinds of stuff and <coughs> excuse me that's uh, that's something for me when it really clicked you know, i think 
beforehand I was trying to paint like loads of different things but when I found that formula and a lot of it was from the views that I see it's like ah now I've got this I can just play around and focus on things like value atmosphere texture so it's similar with you with with your views absolutely yes before I really started in pastel and before we moved here in fact five years ago right when we moved here there I had a period of time where I hadn't painted for almost three years uh you know we all as artists go through different things and then when I bought that new set of pastels and really took off with that I just went crazy with the pastels and before that I had never taken a workshop I'm I'm, you know, I don't like to say self-taught, but I never had a formal education. I guess I am self-taught, but through looking at other people's work and reading and watching videos and things. But I did in the last few years started taking some workshops and I took a workshop with a lady, another pastel artist, and she talked exactly about what you just brought up. And that is that she actually uses almost the exact same, and she's a very well-known artist, um, in the pastel world anyway, which maybe we're insulated. And I, in fact, this year, I'm I'm going to join this next year, the American Impressionist Society, because I want to branch out of my little bubble. But she talked exactly about that, how she uses the same formula, in fact, the same photograph, because she's mainly a studio painter, as am I. And uh, the same photograph and the same shapes, you know, because we're just, we're magicians, right? We're taking these shapes and we're creating something beautiful out of shape and value. And, and there's so much to explore. And that really did kind of open my eyes to the idea that, hey, I don't have to go out and find, which I, I don't really have trouble doing, but it's just... It, it find something new every day to, you know, a completely new composition. That's not what it's about. You know, I mean, I could, one of the, one of the most helpful things that I ever did uh, was I took, I, I watched a video from Richard McKinley. He was the gentleman I was talking about, the artist I was talking about earlier, who had, you know, kind of taught a lot of us pastelists to use these very, um, um, more intricate, more worked on, uh, developed underpaintings. He said, one of the best things you can do is take one subject, one composition, one photo reference and paint it 10 times in 10 different ways. You know, whether it be make it a nocturne, make it a, just a tonal study, make it, um, you know, whatever i mean use texture don't use texture make it um you know a daylight scene turn it into these different you know play with all of those things use a different paper use you know whatever and that was the best thing i ever did as an artist because it opened up the realm of possibilities that hey you know i can take that scene right there that i showed you for example and turn it into you know, a completely different scene. I could make it monochromatic. I could make it whatever I want. I'm the artist. Nobody can tell me what to do with it. I can go, you know, spray casein on that piece of La Carte and ruin it if I want to. But you know what? I might make a masterpiece out of it because I tried something new. So I really think that that, that feeling of, of, um, trying something new and not being afraid and you know it's hard sometimes I will say because there is a balance of wanting once you've become an established artist and you're in galleries and you know you're in, in exhibits and things like that you get a, you you can get pigeonholed and it's hard yeah. because um you know, you want to please your audience. I mean, let's face it, we're artists and we want to, we want people to like our work. I'm not, I don't want to just do it in a vacuum and show the squirrels, you know, and say, do you like this? Here's a peanut if you'll clap for it. I mean, you want human beings to, uh, to connect with your work, you know? And so especially like if I'm on social media where I do get a, a lot of uh, my audience comes from, it's where I've been 
recognized by two of the galleries I'm in and found and opportunities arise and such. So, you know, it's, it's hard to say maybe always want to have that experimental attitude with say uh floral i'm looking at some flowers my husband bought me and and want to go out and paint and if it's not perfect put it on instagram because i know that it's not going to get very many likes and as a human being that's highly sensitive i'm an artist and oh nobody liked my flowers i don't want to put those up um or having that feeling of, oh, I have to perform. I have to put something up in three days or the logarithm is not going to uh, favor me, you know? And I talked to my husband about these things, poor guy. He listens lovingly, of course, and then goes and builds guitars or he doesn't care. I mean, he, of course he cares about what I do and, but, but he'll listen as a good husband should, but so it's it's nice to be able to talk to other artists who would yeah. understand these things. Yeah, you oh, know absolutely. when social media is the, your oh. of getting yourself out there. Yeah, it's something. Can I just go back to something you were saying about, uh, and I was just ah, I've got some examples. So the people who listen to this on the podcast audio won't won't uh, see these, but I'll, I'll scroll. So getting a bit of backlight from that's okay i can see what you're talking about you can see, so you see these simple designs here yes. so this is what in my in my classes when i teach often i would just draw these up on the wall now they're so basic and crude you know you can see there that that's a seascape there's a little bit there. yeah, excellent yeah and so just for those listening the rectangles with just basic horizon wow. lines, clouds coming across. Yes. yes. I'll put those on the wall and say, just paint however you want, but look at that composition. You know, it could be summer, winter, autumn, spring. It could be a cloudy day. It could be a sunny day. You could use yes. pink for the sky and black for the sea, whatever, yes. just paint and within that framework of something um it it gives people more scope i think for learning the language of how to paint i tend not to um encourage if i'm teaching people to paint from photographs if we do to say right let's look at this for two minutes and then turn it off and use your memory to do it so so you're giving yourself that thing to learn the language of the medium you're using more than the language of, of photography. And, you know, it's funny, I think most of the, the artists that we've had on here so far are purely ob observational artists. And I've got this different approach where I go off and I walk around and then come back and usually just paint from my memory because it's based on that simple composition. So it's nice to hear what you were, you were saying. Yes. And, you know, I think um, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I do get out and do some plein air, but I do think, you know, people have very differing ideas of, of um, what's most convenient. I would think that probably watercolor, honestly, would be the most convenient plein air medium <laughs> because it's just so easy to pack around. And for me, you know, I... Uh, mostly am a studio painter and I do work mostly from my photographs that I take on my property or walking around however they often turn into something completely different than what I started with and oftentimes the you know the camera I'll just work straight off of my iPhone and what I'll do is I'll go look through my thumbnails I have thousands of paintings i mean i don't think my icloud has been updated in months or whatever they call them i don't know but because i have so many uh you know i don't care but i'll go through and look on the thumbnails and say "Ooh, that's an interesting looking shape um that's an inter i think i could do something with that and then i'll pull it up and i'm pretty spontaneous so um however i do highly 
recommend um, doing a little thumbnail like that, um, like you just showed us for the the people that the artists that may be watching. Uh, and if I'm not sure, if I don't, you know, it's very often that the the little snap on your camera, you know, that you're going to get isn't perfect. There's going to be things you're going to need to do to tweak that composition, you know, to in order to make it, um, you know, a more pleasing composition. So in that case, I will often do exactly what you just showed and draw it out. And then I'll work from my my photo reference. And ho hopefully I, I like to choose references that I've taken more recently, because then I can remember what it was like there, you know, but honestly, with working with pastels I have so many pastels <laughs> and I work with a lot of other things I use a, a razor I'll use a palette knife I'll use other other things within my paintings to scrape or do things that I want to do to create um, the texture that I want or to get rid of pigment that uh, I also don't like bugs which is really bad for living in um, in the country so I just don't want them you know eating my legs or you know any horrible gross things and so I mostly work in my studio now a lot of people would say oh you're you know the best way to work is in plein air or directly from observation if you're still like painter and that's fine I think just like if somebody wants to call pastel chalk that's great I'm just doing what I love. And you know what? I'm not going to put the rules on myself. Do what makes you happy. And if I, if it's a nice sunny day and there's not a lot of bugs, then I'll say, you know what? I'm going to go out on the deck or out on the gravel road and bring my pastels and I'll paint something directly from observation. I don't think that there's any wrong way to paint. I mean, that said, of course, you'd never want to paint from somebody else's, you know, don't copy other people's work. It's not the way um, I know that a lot of beginning artists like to do that. If, if it's an old master or something, that's fine um, and copyright free. But, you know, the way that you're going to to learn uh, your own style and what you love is by experimenting and painting things that you love that are in your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Simon, do you have a question I've been asking? No, I've been really enjoying it. I always do. Um, I will take the opportunity for anyone who is listening. There is a YouTube channel, so feel free to check out the video here where you can see all of the lovely visuals we provide. Um, but yeah, with you mentioning thumbnails, it made me think about um, looking at your account on Instagram. The thumbnails are obviously so beautiful. I love them. And then there's this uh, meme on Instagram about how artists look at artwork differently than non-artists do. So non-artists will look at a painting at a reasonable distance, whereas artists will look at it, you know, an inch away from the actual surface. I do the same thing when I looked at your um, images on Instagram. I was zooming in, just mesmerized, because it does look as though everything is spiraling around. There's so much movement in there and life. That has to happen at a later stage of the painting because it can't you can't build from movement because you have to do it in layers can you talk about your process of how you create that type of life in your work yeah i so i think that as i have progressed as an artist i've actually slowed down in my process hmm. in the last year so it you know i really think of my journey my husband is funny because he says oh you know, you're so well known because I'm not, by the way, but I mean, I'm in a, I'm in an exhibit in Taiwan right now and I've been in international exhibits and I do have pieces around the world, but he's like, oh, you became an overnight sensation. It only took a decade. <laughs> you know, it's a joke that he takes a lot of hard work. But anyway, um, as far as how I go about working, I think that it's constantly changing, but um, to address what what you're asking, I start with the big shapes, you know. So if I'm if I see, um, you know, if I'm, I, I always like to think of like the the eighty twenty rule, and it works in so many ways uh, in a painting. So 
it doesn't have to be exactly 80-20, but that will always create the drama. Like if I squint and look at that square format piece behind you um, that I like so much, Richard, that's so beautiful, I can see that it's 80% light and about 20% dark, you know, and it's um, 80%. I mean, there's there's so many different of, of, of uh, neutral colors and maybe 10 or 15% of these saturated colors. You know, you can look at it that in so many ways, even saying, oh, I'm 80% finished. So I'm going to step away so I don't overwork my painting. And I think that that's one of the most important things that I've come to realize myself is that in the last few years, I, I'm such a spontaneous painter that I would stand out there and do a painting every day that would be a completely finished painting. And these days I've really slowed down and I don't slow down at the easel, but I slow down by stopping a lot. I take a lot of breaks and think about what I'm going to do. And then when I go back out, I can be creative and spontaneous and not worry about I'm not ever going up. I mean, I can't say never, excuse me, but I will occasionally go up to the painting and put in some careful highlights or accents at the end. But most of the time, it is stepping back 30 feet, looking at what it needs, coming and looking at it 10 feet, five feet, one foot, and saying, here's what it needs. And instead of trying to very carefully control my hand because I'm not a realist painter. And I'm, I, while I appreciate it and it's gorgeous and I love all kinds of work, that's not what I'm going for. I want to create that impression of aliveness and swirls and the beauty of the wild. Then I'm not really that concerned about the actual mark I'm making. I'm more concerned about, did I get it in the general area of the piece that I want? Do I have the value right? Do I have the saturation and the, is it warm or cool, that type of thing? And let me get it in that particular area, but boom, it's done. And leave it and don't go back and mess with it, right? I mean, that's the goal. Some of the, some of the time it works and some of the time I'm out there cussing like a sailor and throwing, pulling my hair out and working over a painting like this and really unhappy with it and forcing it to work. And sometimes they do. And then the magic happens in other pieces where everything comes together and you have that channeling of whatever that magic is. And there are no redos and scraping offs. Um, it happens both ways. And unfortunately, the magic doesn't, those moments, you know, those paintings aren't as often, honestly, as the scraping off cursing paintings, but <laughs> it's part of being an artist. Yeah, yeah, it certainly is. I, you're saying about that, and I, I was talking to someone the other day about that thing of sometimes, you know, some of my best paintings I've done, you know, between 15 minutes, half an hour to an hour. I've just walked in and just done it. And yeah. it, it's... Uh, I've sort of said all that needs to be said in a sentence. Often I have to write an essay, right? It's right. that thing. It's that thing. And that flow state is is it, it's not predictable as an artist, but you've got to keep doing it. And again, like your advice um, to artists as well, just keep practicing and doing. And even when you are, you know. 10 years down the line or you're professional or whatever, you don't don't suddenly become like just this flowing <laughs> energy all of the time. There are days and sometimes they are more than the ones where it, the magic happens, where you are really, really up against it. But it's about how you work through those things. Um, and, and that's... And that's where the learning comes from, isn't it? Because you, you push yourself and you try something. And you think, ah, I haven't tried that before. And and it happens. Yeah. I have a pile of failed paintings out there. I mean, in a butcher tray that, you know, are just waiting because 
it's, it's the, the, the materials are expensive. Paper, archival paper for an artist is expensive. And so one day I may go out and use those um, to re rework, or, you know, most likely just wash it down and start a new painting. Occasionally, if I'm tearing my hair, my hair out enough, it's somewhat liberating to just go uh, uh, and throw it in the trash, you know, and say, I'm done. It's been two days of working on this thing. It's not, my vision is not being realized. Um, but you can't think of it as a wasted two days. It's hard not to sometimes, of course, because as artists, we're usually highly sensitive and emotional people. And we want all of our work to be perfect, but that's not how it is. That's not reality, at least for me. I have those days and and paintings that nobody sees. And my husband says, mm, mm -mm. at least he's honest. I have this honest critic here, you know, uh, which is wonderful. Um, so those those times happen and it's going to happen. And it's it's part of the, you know, it's not all perfect, beautiful you know, butterflies and unicorns. I mean, it's just, it's not the way it is, but it's worth it. It's all worth it because yeah. I'm doing what I love. And, you know, I've had people, I've had a girl in school somewhere in the UK actually write me and say, I mean, this is just an example, like, wow, your art is so inspirational to me. Can I do a report on it for school? Or you make me want to become an artist. And to feel like there's so much, there's so much pain and horrible wars and terrible things happening in the world and that will continue to happen and have happened since the beginning of humanity that, you know, sometimes it feels like, am I really doing, should I be out in the Peace Corps somewhere and actually making a difference? But I think that we can all make a difference doing things that the little things every day. And if I can, I, I, that might sound trite, but I actually really, truly believe that. And it's, you know, not just, but since we're talking about painting here, that's what I'm going to focus on when I say that. Because if I can make somebody smile and make somebody happy or, you know, have somebody write me and say, wow, Kim, you know, your painting just made my day. And I'm going back. I use, I use it as wallpaper on my phone. And when I'm stressed out, I look at it and it calms me down. Thank you. That is making a difference. It's like a little ripple that we can all make this difference. And so when I think, oh, what am I just, you know, scribbling on a piece of paper and it's it's nothing. I could be doing more in the world. I don't want to think of it that way. I think that we all every day can do something. And and even if it's just bringing beauty into the world, it's much, much needed. Absolutely. And art is one of those things that it brings that beauty. It's like music, you know, in the sense that, you know, it's needed. Life is difficult, right? So having music and having art, it as respite, as inspiration, aesthetic. Um, but I think with painting as well, and I get this a lot, is that it also inspires other people to paint and to want to be artists. And, you know, not just from teaching it for me, but I get loads of DMs or comments with people saying, I want to start, or, you know, I want to do this. And I'm always there to give that advice because I think, you know, it's, it's important that in a way that, you know, as practising artists, we get to that point where we, we've got something to share, you know, that experience. And sometimes it can be like the most basic things if someone says, you know, what colour did you use up there? And, you know, what mix was that? Or someone saying, you know, I want to start pastel painting. Um, what colours would you recommend? You know, and being able to do that is, um, yeah. because that person might be going through like, you know, great difficulty or, or something like that. And, and just to be able to share that. So I totally agree with what you're saying. Oh, absolutely. And I love to teach. Um, in fact, I was teaching from, uh, I've, I've taught on Patreon twice and I've quit twice. I love teaching. I do have YouTube um, and I have some, you know, you can just look up my name if you're listening to this and you want to see some of my uh, videos on there, but um, I'm also teaching on Pastel Live next year. I'm doing the Essentials 
uh, day. I'm teaching a probably like an hour workshop for them. But I do, I, I think um, that it's a beautiful thing to share what we love to do. And the problem, the only problem that I had with it, uh, because I, I was teaching on Patreon for a while earlier this year, is that it's a lot of work um, to, because I put everything into what I do. And so I have, maybe I'll eventually put them on YouTube or something and just give them out for free. That might, might be a nice thing to do actually. I mean, because I have dozens and dozens of these, of these videos and I, I shut it down because I, as much as I love teaching, I want to just put everything into it and give everybody as much as I can. I have no holds barred on any knowledge. I, I feel like, you know, why not give it to another generation when I'm dead? Maybe I, maybe some of me will come through their work because they learned something from me. But it takes so much work. And then all the video editing um, that I didn't have time to make a single large work for a gallery. I mean, I haven't, you know, I just, I finally had to quit in June. I, I did it for three months and I'm like, all I do is, is do these demos. And as much as I love it and I want to help others, um, you know, I have, it's a balancing act, Absolutely. just like uh, social media and taking the time to paint. And then you have to market yourself. If only we had, you know, had a, uh, I could hire a marketing person or something, but that's just not, not the reality of it. I have to go respond. And I mean, I love responding and I love talking to people and I love, I love doing all of that, but it is also, let's be honest, it's time consuming. Absolutely. And we've, we've talked to, and, and what I'll do just quickly here. So I've, I've got to go in, in about 10 minutes, max because I've got, I'm teaching online. <laughs> so, so <laughs> No problem. If this is all right with you, Kim and Simon, maybe we can do a part two at some point because, like, there's so much. Also, I want to talk to you about colours and 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 pastel and and all of that kind of stuff. But maybe we could do a part two. Yeah, but it we've got seem long enough to be with you. But I was yeah. going to try to use the segue of you mentioning YouTube. Yeah. Where is it our listeners or viewers should go to see your work and support you? Well, they can find me and my work at kimeshelman.com. So it's K-I-M-E-S-H-E-L-M-A-N.com. And if I have workshops going on, I do post them there um, on my website. You can see the galleries I'm in. You can see the current exhibits that I'm in, upcoming exhibits. Um, and, you know, I'm also, like I said, I have some videos, just some teaching shorts uh, short videos on YouTube. Um, just plug my name in. I honestly don't remember what my handle is or anything. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Instagram. It's Kim underscore Eshelman. And yeah, that's the best way to find me. Uh, I, I have a business page on, on Facebook, um, Kim Eshelman Fine Art. So you can find me there as well. Oh, fantastic. Well, all of the links for that will be in the description of this video. You've been really generous with your time. I hope we do get to have a part two with you because it's been lovely talking to you. Thank you. You as well. Thank you so much for having me.